0: It's hard for us to uh, think about sheep when we live in a city, even a small city. Uh, Sheep are nasty, Uh, they are dumb by nature, they're made to be sheared or eaten. Uh, They have to be led, they walk with their head down, they are easy prey for wolves and for predators. And Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. But before he got into that, he said, I am the door. And he used the sheep illustration. Just a little thought here on the side before we jump into it. When when he says, I'm the door and I'm the shepherd, he is reminding us that everything that we fear, everything that we're anxious about, all the predators of this world that we fear could encroach on our lives He's the gatekeeper. He's the one that gives us a safe harbor. He's the one that gives us a safe place to run to, and he guards that place with his own life. Israel understood the image. God is frequently spoken of as a shepherd. We most often know Psalm 23, but also Psalm 77 and Psalm 79, Psalm 95 and Psalm 100 all use the image of Jesus, of God as a shepherd. Messiah was called a shepherd. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 11 says, Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. The image of the sheep and the flock is also applied to the church. In Luke 12 and Acts chapter 20 in Romans 8, in Hebrews 13, in 1 Peter 5, the imagery of a shepherd and sheep is given to the church. So there's nothing inconsistent with the revelation of God from Old to New Testament that God is a guardian. He's the gatekeeper. He watches over us. He guards us. He protects us. In fact, the Latin, Latin word for pastor Uh, is a word for shepherd that watches over and that guards. And when Jesus spoke of salvation, one of the things that we may forget is that when Jesus spoke of salvation, in His day, salvation was often referred to as a deliverer. And and so when you talked about the one who came to save, He was the one who came to deliver from danger. He was the one who, who delivered from captivity. And the way you got deliverance was to go through the door into his fold. We have deliverance from the power of sin and death. We have deliverance from fear. We have deliverance from everything that causes us to be shaken by this world. So I want you to look at the context. At night, a shepherd would take the sheep into a sheepfold. They would take them in for safety because... Uh, predators would run around, thieves and robbers, as Jesus refers to, but also wolves or coyotes would, would run around. They, they would put them in this sheepfold to protect from thieves, from bad weather, from other animals, and it could be a cave, it could be a shed, or it could be an open area with a wood or stone wall about eight feet tall that typically no other animal could get over easily, or if they tried to, they would be heard. And the shepherd would sleep at the entrance to that sheepfold, protecting the flock. So when Jesus used this image, and he's using it in the context of how we get to God, he's saying that the only way you get to God is through me. You don't come in, a back way, you don't climb over a wall, you don't steal your way in. The context is a rebuke of the religious leaders. And one of the reasons I love that clip is because when he's defining who he is, he's looking at the religious leaders. Why? Well, it's going to be real clear before we get through tonight, because Jesus believed the Pharisees to be thieves and robbers. He was talking about religion that puts burdens on people instead of setting them free. Religion that puts people in bondage. Remember, the Pharisees have added 675 laws to the Ten Commandments because they didn't think ten was enough. Although none of us can even keep the ten, and they just kept adding rules and regulations and burdens. Uh, Matthew says that that they add heavy burdens. To the people in addition to all the other burdens that they were carrying. Now the context of this story in John chapter 10 flows out of John chapter 9. Remember there are no chapter breaks in the original writings. There are no verses in the original writings. This is just a story that is told by John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about what Jesus did during his lifetime. So there's no transitional word or phrase between chapter 9 and chapter 10. Normally, when John is telling us that this happened on a different day or a week later or it happened at another time or we were in a different place when this happened, John would use phrases like after these things or after this or on the next day. He doesn't do that. So what happened with the healing of the blind man, remember Jesus healed him. What did the religious leaders do about the healing of the blind man? They rejected Jesus as being able to heal him and then they ejected that man and kicked him out because they didn't like the fact that Jesus had healed him. So on the heels of Jesus performing a miracle and saying, I'm the light of the world, It rolls right into this, I'm the door. I'm the light of the world, which leads you to me, the door. So if you see chapter 9 and chapter 10 in context together, in a seamless flow, Jesus has in mind what has just happened, the confrontation that has taken place in John chapter 9, All of that is still stirring in the air. It's in the atmosphere going on at the very time when he rolls right into this statement about being the door. These words come immediately on the heels of that event. So Jesus, with what's just happened in mind, triggers into, I'm the door, I'm the way to abundant life. So when you see it in that context, There's only one thing that you can interpret here. I mean, you can do a lot of others, but in the context, the thieves and robbers are the Pharisees because the Pharisees did not recognize God standing in front of them. They had studied the Scriptures. They had memorized the Scriptures. But when Messiah showed up, all the prophecies they had read, all the things that they had heard, they looked at Jesus and said, No, it's not him. Jesus kept saying, I am. Now, the phrase I am in and of itself would immediately remind them of the revelation of God to Moses in the book of Exodus. You tell them I am sent you. And when Jesus was using that, it was emphatically used to be a dart into the heart of those people who were listening to him. I am he. I'm the one, I'm the door, I'm the way, I'm the shepherd, I'm the bread, I'm the life, I'm the water. And what had God been for his people throughout history? He had been bread, manna, he had been water, they struck a rock. He had been life and light, the pillar of cloud. He had been all of those things. And then when God in flesh, which had been revealed God in flesh was going to show up, A Messiah, a deliverer would come that would lead the way. When he shows up, the religious crowd sized him up and said, No, that's not him. And so, what Jesus does is he looks at the dead Judaism that had long since forgotten to focus on God and had simply gotten caught up into rituals and sacrifices with no meaning, with no power, with no change in their lives. And he said, you are thieves and robbers. You're trying to steal people from me. Now that's an incredible context. It's a reminder that that Jesus has no equals and he has no rivals. So the context is that these Pharisees are the thieves and robbers. Now look at Christ as the entrance. He says, I'm the door. And then if you just want to write down by that phrase, I'm the door, he goes on to say in chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Always remember in John 14, 6, that that word the is a definite article in the Greek. It cannot be interpreted in any way as a or one of, He is the emphatic only one way. He is the emphatic only truth. He is the emphatic only life. So when Jesus revealed himself as the door, he comes back and reinforces that again in John chapter 14. Now here's the difference between Jesus and world religions. World religions are founded by someone, and some of them don't even have to have a founder. They don't even know who started it. Uh... What's the new Christmas religion that comes around at Christmas? Kwanzaa, yeah. Nobody knows who started it. Just somebody sat around one day and ate some really bad Mexican food and said, Kwanzaa. Religion, we'll start a new faith. Kwanzaa is basically the worship of nothing. Uh, Aaron just got back from India where, where she was wrapping up a movie and, and they, there's a temple there. She showed us a picture of a temple that is a Hindu temple and it has all the possible gods that you could think of stacked one on top of the other just in case they miss one. You see, false religions either pull together thoughts or ideas or opinions or visions of someone who founds that religion and says, this is a religion, this is a way to live. And every religion of man, except Christianity, is based on us trying to work our way to God, to please God, to get another chance through reincarnation, uh, to get another possibility, or life just ends and that's it, it's over. Or we get to go to another planet and have multiple wives and and have children and be kingdoms, kings in our own world, and or we get to go for forty virgins. I bet some of those guys have figured out there weren't forty virgins there to meet them when they got there. But I mean, they they're all about these are our ideas, these are our thoughts, this is our religion. For instance, in Islam, if you hear people talk about Islam today, one of the things they'll tell you is that Muhammad rode on his horse into Jerusalem. It never says in the Quran that he rode to Jerusalem. It just says he went to another place. And they claim Jerusalem as their holy city when Muhammad himself never said he went there. It's just made up. Hey, you know, that's what religion does. It just makes stuff up. That's why Jesus said, I'm definitive. You're going to know real clear who I am and what I expect. All religion works toward pleasing and appeasing God. God, through Christ, came down and appeased the wrath of God by taking on our sin on the cross. It's not what we do, it's what He has done for us. It's not how good we are. We're wicked and we're bad, and we cannot be good enough to be saved. We cannot do enough to make our good works outweigh our bad. And so because of that, God had to send somebody to give us a door to get into heaven. And that door is Jesus Christ. Now, you you will hear people say, even in evangelical circles, well, they're sincere. Well, how sincere do you have to be? When are you sincere enough? Well, they're good. Well, how good do you have to be? That's subjective. Sincere and good are subjective ways. I don't want to put my eternal destiny in the hands of whether I think I'm sincere enough or think I've done enough good works and roll the dice and hope that the weights are balanced in my favor after I die when it's too late to do anything about it. I don't think I want to roll the dice on that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to weigh the fact that my sin so tilted the scale that the only way to tilt it back toward God was for Jesus to come on the other side and outweigh my sin to redeem me, to ransom me. So Jesus is the door. He doesn't claim to be the way to discover truth. He says, I am the truth. He he, he doesn't say, uh, I'm merely here to show you the way. He said, I am the way and so when you see this then you understand why Hebrews 10:20 says he is the new and living way. Paul said in Ephesians 2:18 through him we have access to the Father. Now nobody else can give you access to God the Father except God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit living inside of us gives us the ability to boldly approach the throne of grace while God the Son is whispering as our advocate into the ear of God the Father. So we got God the Father being prayed to by us, by God the Son, and by God the Holy Spirit. I'd say God's got us covered on whatever it is we're worried about, whatever adversaries, whatever thieves or robbers that are out there. Now, this, this door is twofold. First of all, it is inclusive. It is inclusive. It is inclusive. If anyone enters, it's inclusive. Now, how many people are going to get through that door? I don't have any idea. But the door is inclusive. Anyone that enters through Jesus will be saved. Anyone who enters through Jesus will be saved. Not enters through a Baptist church, not enters through any other denomination, not enters through baptism, not enters through good works, but anyone that enters through him will be saved. Secondly, it's exclusive. It's exclusive. There's one door in. There's just one door in. They're not multiple entrances. I had, I had lunch with a guy uh, this week. By the way, he wasn't a member of the church, and he said, I want to give $5,000 towards your uh, meet the need because I just believe in what y'all are doing. I said, Okay. I'll buy lunch he said man I've been walking around this church for 10 minutes trying to figure out a door to get in I don't I didn't know I said where'd you park he said I don't know he said I've just been walking around trying to figure out how to get in there's one door in one door in now any other way any other claim falls under the category of a thief and a robber and Jesus uses two words here with this, these words, thief and robber. They are distinctively different words, and, and you need to know them. The first word is the word kleptos, from which we get our word kleptomaniac. It's a person who, who steals by cunning or by stealth. You know, somebody that uh, goes into a dressing room, and, and they put on an item of clothing, and they, they steal by cunning or by stealth. They stick something in their pocket by the way just so you know just so you know there's a rule at disney that if even if you're five years old at disney you may want to tell your children this when you take them next time even if you're five years old at disney if you steal something and they catch you for the rest of your life you can never enter a disney theme park for the rest of your life that means that when a 15 year old gets caught stealing at Disney, when their grandparent and their kids say, Grandpa, you gonna take us to Disney World? Can't go. Stole a Mickey Mouse eraser when I was 15. You steal by stealth or by cunning. This is what Satan does when he says, Has God said? To steal by stealth and by cunning is where all liberal theology falls. Any denial of the authority and the inerrancy and the inspiration of the Word of God falls under stealing by stealth. People get into a church, get into a denomination, and they constantly are saying, Has God said? We had people that joined this church in the 1990s because a pastor got up and basically said, The feeding of the 5,000 really didn't happen. That wasn't a miracle. It's just all smoke and mirrors. If somebody denies the miracle, they deny, they deny the miracle worker. If somebody denies the words of Jesus, they deny the person of Jesus. And all liberal theology and all people who assume that they're okay with God, that sit under that kind of teaching, have been stolen from God by thieves and robbers who fill pulpits and seminaries and colleges with false and watered-down teaching that they think is more acceptable. Second word he uses, there's no English transliteration, but it refers to one, robbers refers to a person who steals by violence. I mean, how many times have you turned on the TV and watched somebody walk into a convenience store with a handgun and pull it on the employee, and they steal by violence, they steal by threatening, they steal by intimidation, they take By force. This is somebody who steals by demanding a position. How did the Pharisees fit under this category? Here's how the Pharisees demanded honor and power that they did not deserve, and they did it in the name of God. They demanded authority, they demanded honor, they wanted power, and they did it saying they were representing a holy God, and they weren't. They were robbers. And by force, they were holding up laws and rules and regulations which people could not live up to and adding burdens to them, and people were frustrated and anxious and fearful because of the Pharisees. And then you just flip that to Jesus, who said more about hell than anybody in the Scriptures. And it says the people received him gladly. Why? Because he didn't walk around with all that stuff on. Like the Pharisees did, ringing their little bells and making sure they only walked so far and so they wouldn't break the Sabbath laws. They received Jesus gladly. Jesus did not compromise on sin. He didn't say that, that sin that is called sin is not sin anymore since I showed up. He came to die for sin. The difference between Jesus and the Pharisees was Jesus loves sinners. Pharisees think they're better than sinners when they are, in fact, sinners themselves. And so here's Jesus dealing with these thieves that steal by cunning and by stealth and with those who steal by violence. By the way, if you just want to make a note there, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 15 when it talks about the Nicolaitans, those were people who stole They tried to steal the church. And God addresses it. Number three, Christ's enemies. So Jesus contrasts himself with all these others. The Jewish leaders have rejected Jesus and tried to turn the people away from him in John 9. They expel the man healed in John 9 because he confessed Jesus. But if you look at verse 9, there's a, there's a phrase there that's emphatic in the Greek. It says, through me. You come through me. It, it's so emphatic because through him is freedom and protection and life. What sheep need. We need freedom and protection and life. And so we come through him. And then there's a little term there, come in and go out. It, it's a New Testament term word but it has an old testament concept here's what he's saying he says when you come in and you go out jesus is saying as you go about your daily life this is your daily habit pattern this is your daily routine as you get up and go to school as you get up and go to work as you get up and do your job as you get up and do your chores As you get up and serve other people, as you get up and visit people in the hospital, as you get up and visit people in a prison, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and you're going in and you're coming out, He is there. He's the one that watches over you in your daily activities. We're under His protection. Now, two things here. Remember we said He's inclusive and exclusive. The enemies of Jesus rejected Him as the exclusive way. Now turn back a few pages, you can write this down, turn back a few pages to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, and I want these next 2 subpoints. I want us to look at some scriptures and see why this is so important. John chapter 1, the enemies of Jesus reject him as the exclusive way, because there had been others who had come at the time of Jesus and after Jesus who claimed to be Messiah. There are others that have come since Jesus who say that Jesus was a prophet, but he wasn't the Son of God. He may have been a Son of God, but he wasn't the Son of God. And so the enemies of Jesus, then and now, reject him as the exclusive way. Look at John 1 and verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Now, turn a few pages to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 66. John 6. They rejected Him as the exclusive way. As a result of this, many of His disciples withdrew and were not walking with Him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Sometimes when people go through crisis and through problems, they think, well, maybe there's another way. They need to read John chapter 6 and say, so, if we leave, where are we going to go? Jesus has the words of life. Jesus has the words of eternal life. The people that were there with him knew that regardless of the pressures and the problems that would come from following Jesus, where else would they go? Who else would they follow? It's a church in China today that ever since Easter of last year, there have been 15 to 20 members of that church arrested every Sunday by the Chinese government to try to get that church to shut down and stop meeting. Every Sunday, they have more than they had the Sunday before. I mean, where are you going to go? To the Communist Party? What's that going to get you? Nothing. Where where can we go? So they rejected the exclusivity of Christ, but then the enemies of Jesus resent the inclusive nature of the gospel. They reject the inclusive nature of the gospel. Turn to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. And you will get this sometimes when people knock on your door if you get into a discussion with them, which I've encouraged you not to, but if you get into a discussion with them, there, something will rise up inside of them that will resent the inclusive nature of the gospel. John 9, 34, they answered him, you were born, now this is how clueless they were about Jesus, you were born entirely in sin and are you teaching us So they put him out. Here's how the thieves and robbers always treat Jesus. You need to mark this verse. Thieves and robbers always say Jesus is no better than anybody else. He's not who you say he is. They will lower Jesus to the standard of a good moral teacher or a prophet But they will say of Jesus, what are you telling me about Jesus? You can't tell me that. He's no better than anybody else. And so there's a rejection of the inclusive nature of salvation. Now, let's go to the last thing, the Christian's enjoyment. Go back to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And look at verse 3. And there are two things I want you to see here. This is what we enjoy with Jesus, and then I want to just kind of delve into a couple other things. First of all, he knows our name. He knows our name. By the way, you realize you're going to get a new name in heaven? He knows our name. Terry always thought, because her last name, her maiden name was Payne, she said, when I get married, I'm going to marry somebody and get rid of this lousy name. So she married a cat. (laughs) Didn't help her much. He knows our name. Isn't it amazing that of the billions of people that have known Christ through the years, through the centuries, of every tribe and tongue and creed, He knows you. By name. So when you cry out to Him and call to Him, He doesn't have to go get an assistant to say, Can you tell me who that is? I don't recognize them. He knows our name. You say, Well, nobody knows me. Nobody cares about me. I'm a nobody. Not to Jesus, you aren't. He knows your name. But the second thing is, We know his voice. We know his voice. You see, when you know his name, then when you hear somebody saying something that's not consistent with the person of Jesus revealed in the Bible, and even if they quote the Bible and try to mislead you, you hear that voice and you say, "That that didn't sound right. That, That didn't sound right. You see, if somebody were to happen to stand at this pulpit, which they never will as long as I'm alive, but if if somebody were to happen to stand at this pulpit, under which is written the words of Charles Spurgeon, let him who stand here and preach not Jesus be accursed. If someone were to stand here and say, you know, as I've studied the Greek, I believe that Jesus is one of many saviors. Every one of you would know that's wrong. And you'd either get up and walk out or you'd take him out. Because you'd know That's wrong. Why? Because you know the voice that says what is consistent with Jesus. We know His voice. And when Jesus speaks, there's no, I wonder who that is trying to tell me to do this, because He always speaks consistent with His Word, consistent with the revelation of Himself. So there are a couple of things here, and then uh, we'll close. First of all, we are set apart. We are set apart. Because He knows our name, and because we know His voice, we are set apart. Now, he, here's the thing. If Jesus is a door, He's also a, a divider. Now, we don't typically think of Jesus that way, but, but as Warren Wiersbe says, a door means that there's a di- division. There's some on the outside of the door, and there's some on the inside of the door. He's a divider. Uh, the conversation I had I guess three years ago in in Denver and I was having a conversation with one of the most famous Mormons in all the world and they said to me you know after all we both have the same God and the same Father and we were in the middle of a crowd and I said you know it's going to take me a little longer than we've got to talk to you about that You see, we're set apart. There are people outside the door and there are people inside the door. And the only way you get inside the door is by saying that Jesus is the only key that opens that door. You don't crawl over him, go around him, or open up another entrance because you don't want to go through him. He's the only door. So we have been set apart, distinctive. We are unique As one translation says, we're peculiar people. And I've been in enough churches to know there are a lot of peculiar people. None of you. But I have met some. But I don't think that's what God meant. All right, go to John chapter 7. Go to John chapter 7. I want to walk through uh, three passages in John that talks about us being set apart. Because we are set apart, and here's the word that I want you to circle and notice. The word division. The word division. John 7 and verse 43. So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. So Jesus in John 7.43 creates a division. He is the dividing line. In John chapter 9 in verse 16. John 7:43, now John 9. And verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Here we are. All they're worried about is their rules. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a Division among them. John chapter 9 and verse 16. There was a division among them. Now just drop down a few verses to John chapter 10 and verse 19. John 10 and verse 19. This is the passage we'll look at the next time. A division occurred among the Jews because of these words. What words? I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. Many of them were saying he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? Again, three times, right around the time of this statement, you see this word division. Jesus sets us apart and people have to choose. To choose not to choose is to choose that you're not inside the sheepfold. To choose to think that there's any other way is to choose to be outside the sheepfold. Not only are we set apart, but we're called to make choices. We're called to make choices. Now, the the, the point is the Christians enjoyment, but here's how we enjoy in Jesus, there are two things. Look at chapter 10 and verse 9. Chapter 10 and verse 9. We'll go out, in and out, and find pasture that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Two things. First of all, there's life and there's liberty. How do we enjoy life? Why are we not in the bondage of legalism and rules and regulations? That doesn't mean that enjoyment, we we can go do anything we want to and say, well, we're under grace. I mean, Paul dealt with that when he said, you know, people say, shall we sin so that grace may abound? And he says, God forbid that you would ever think that you sin so that you can have more grace. God forbid that you would think that way, but there is life and liberty what kind of life life abundantly not just existence i mean have you ever walked down the streets of a city or walked through the mall and seen all the people that are existing that's all they're doing they're just kind of just walking around no matter what they've got they're not happy they're not at peace there's no joy there's no happiness they they may have a song in their ipod but there's no song in their heart They may have temporary stimulation, but there's no ongoing abundant living. The enjoyment that we have is when we go into the sheepfold, Jesus knows where the water is, He knows where the bread is, He knows where the green pastures are, He knows where the dangers are, and we can go in and out because the Son has set us free. And as long as we follow Him, this is not freedom from the Word or freedom from his lordship, it's a freedom to live in the joy of his protection. Psalm 23 in verse 3 talks about the paths that we walk, Is it gives the image of the shepherd and the sheep. And that word paths in Psalm 23, 3, and by the way, I want you to turn to Jeremiah. We're going to look at Jeremiah here quickly. That term in Psalm 23, 3, paths, means a well-worn rut. Now, sometimes we speak of ruts in a negative way. But a well-worn rut or a well-worn path is a proven and safe road. It has been traveled by somebody before us. Now, don't miss that. Because sometimes people say, in the name of God... We just want to go cut a new path. We don't want to do anything that anybody did before. Implying that nothing significant happened before we showed up. That that we have a new revelation that is not built on the shoulders of people who went before us or on truths that have stood the test of time. And and so when you see in Psalm 23, he says the well-worn path, the ruts, what he's saying is, That shepherd knows the best way to take his sheep so that they are protected and well-fed. You see, there's nothing wrong with some tradition as long as you don't worship the tradition. We don't worship the path. We worship the one who takes us down the path to greener pastures and to fresh water and to life. Because others have gone that way and found it to be a faithful way, we go that way and find that that path has been taken by people before us. And they found it to be a good road. I, I, you know, when I go somewhere, I don't care what my GPS says, I want a well-worn path. I, I don't want to say, you know, every now and then on mine it I say, would you like to take dirt roads? No. I would like to take the fastest well-worn path that you have, preferably one that does not have Barney Fife sitting over the edge (laughs) waiting to write me a ticket. All right, Jeremiah chapter 6, lest I divert to another subject. (laughs) Jeremiah 6 and verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Therefore hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their plans, because they have not listened to my words. So when you take John chapter 10, about the way we go in and out, and you take the phrase in Psalm 23:3 of the path, he leads me in paths of what? Righteousness. If you take what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 6, what he's telling us is you can trust the road I put you on and enjoy the journey while you're on it. Even when you have some detours, you can still get on the path and enjoy the journey. So here's some truths that you need. First of all, if it's new, it's not true. If it's new, it's not true. The final revelation of God, as far as new revelation, came in the book of Revelation. And it warns us, you don't add to it, you don't take away from that book. So any book added to the Word of God, or any even Christian book put above the Word of God, is adding new truth instead of falling to the old truth. You always put what you read under the authority of the Scripture. You don't put the authority of the Scripture under what you read you chase it through the grid of scripture if it's new it's not true that's how cults get started that's how you end up going to another country and drinking kool-aid somebody tells you there's something new and you begin to follow that and it ends up costing you and your family their lives secondly to not heed god's warning is to expose yourself to wolves thieves robbers and legalist to not heed the warnings of God is to expose yourself to wolves and thieves and robbers and legalists. our friend Ken Jenkins is in Minnesota right now filming uh t- taking some pictures of some wolves and he was following a pack yesterday and uh, they were walking across a frozen river and so he was following them at a distance which is a good thing to do with the wolves And he said, I was in an overhang, and he said, I heard something above me. And he said, I had my camera, I was taking pictures of these wolves, and just really well-fed, big wolves. And he said, and I just turned around and I looked up, and he said, ten feet from my head were two wolves on the overhang, standing and looking at me. And he said, I realized in that moment, I was the only non-frozen food in the area. (laughs) And he said, my brain, which was given to me by God, said, I wouldn't do this again if I was you. And so he said, they didn't bother me. They left me alone. But he said, as they were leaving me alone, I watched one run by with the whole leg of a deer in his mouth as he took off into the woods. By the way, there are wolves that you may not be aware of right now that are peering over the edge looking for opportunities to take you down and to destroy your testimony. They don't have to devour you. They just have to divert you to get you off track. Third thing, not only if it's new, it's not true, and we need to be aware of the legalists, but number three, to declare yourself free in Christ doesn't mean you can do whatever you want to do. Freedom in Christ is within the boundaries of the lordship of Jesus Christ, plain and simple. And we have a whole movement in our land that says freedom in Christ means I can do whatever I want to do. I don't answer to anybody. There are no consequences. There are no rules. Why would anybody think that applies to the Christian life and it doesn't apply to the laws of the land? Why would you think it applies to the society in which we live, but it doesn't apply to the one who saved you? We live under his lordship. And then the next one. Warren Rearsby taught me this one. <laughs> Never take down a fence until you know why it was put there. Never take down a fence until you know why it was put there. Somebody put a fence up for a reason. Ah, don't, that, that fence doesn't do any good. Never take down a fence until you know why it's there. There may be a raging bull on the other side that you're being protected from. But you just don't go tearing down barriers because... There's only one way in, and as long as you keep it that way, then the shepherd and the door can watch over you. But you start taking down the sheepfold and letting all kind of ways get into you, and you'll be destroyed. One last thing. We call others to make a choice. In our enjoyment, one of the joys of the Christian life is that we invite people to come to the door and enter the sheepfold, to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we walk out of here tonight, here's what I want you to have in your mind. There's a line that is growing. It is currently 750,000 miles long. It reaches around the world 30 times and it grows by 30 miles a day. That is the line of people that are lost and without Christ. When we walk out of here, after we've enjoyed worship and praise and prayer and the word today, when we walk out of here, we walk out a door into a world that knows nothing about the sheepfold and the joys of the Lord that we have experienced. The line is 750,000 miles long you would have to go around the world 30 times to just get an understanding of how long that line is. Tomorrow, at this time, it will be 30 miles longer than it was today. Tuesday, it will be 30 miles longer than it was on Monday. Wednesday, it will be 30 miles longer than it was on Tuesday. And on and on and on it goes By the time we gather next Sunday, that line will be 150 miles longer than it was today. As we go out and come in and go out and come in, let's remember that God has made room in the sheepfold for whoever enters by him.